This is David Weiss for the Daily Worker Placement, and you're listening to The Game Changers, Season 2, Episode 4, So Much Winning. In last month's episode, I laid out a system for critiquing games called Format, arguing that, at least in terms of modern tabletop design, there were four categories into which we can divide any discussion of a game's merit. Fun, originality, mindfulness and accessibility, and transcendence. The bedrock upon which it all rests is, of course, fun. Games should, above all, be fun. That's our modern take on games anyway. But there's fun, and there is fun. Countless threads on BGG and on Reddit founder on whether a particular game or a mechanic or a category or a genre is fun. I don't know whether it's a failure of empathy or whether people are just being provocative for uh, fun. Still, once I started thinking about the different ways that games are enjoyable, I was surprised at how many different ways games meet our emotional needs. Because yes, I believe having fun is an emotion, a pleasurable one, which is why we tend to seek it out. We enjoy games, the root of which is joy. And a joyless life is one hardly worth contemplating. I might even place fun right above food, shelter, and love in Maslow's hierarchy. Evidence for the importance of fun lies in our archaeological record. Games and rules for games and riddles and puzzles are among the oldest artifacts we have of early civilizations, which means that once we got the whole agriculture thing down and were able to produce a surplus of food, we had time to spend rolling dice and moving pieces around. But even more compelling to me about the importance of games is their role in modern times. Chess, Cards and Monopoly were staples of prisoner of war camps during World War II. The Allies even hid escape kits inside Monopoly boxes sent by the Red Cross. But games were played even in situations of extreme privation, such as Alexander Solzhenitsyn wrote about in the Gulag Archipelago, and Anne Frank wrote about in her diary, and Viktor Frankl recounted in his Holocaust memoir, Man's Search for Meaning. These kind of games were extremely basic. I mean, to be honest, I would classify a lot of them as group storytelling games played after lights out when everyone was in bed. People would, for instance, take turns describing their favorite meals or where they would go after the war, what they would do or what would happen after they were released. Or they would swap stories of their favorite movies or movie stars. Or one person would retell the plot of a book and others would interrupt if and when they got it wrong. You might find all that a little far-fetched, but I, I hope you won't disagree with my overall point that having fun satisfies a basic human need or set of needs. I would split those needs into two broad and overlapping categories, personal needs that have to do with what we want for ourselves and social needs, which have to do with what we look for in our relation to others. Which brings me to the first grouping of fun types, fundamentals, if you will. Some people play games because they enjoy the competition, while others enjoy working together cooperatively towards a common goal. 
both involve social and personal needs. Competition is about establishing dominance over others, whereas cooperation is about feeling part of a group. Arguably, cooperative games also have a competitive element because you're competing against the game to beat the game. But then again, competitive games have a cooperative element because in order to play, you all have to agree to participate and play by a common set of rules. So there is a kind of yin-yang aspect to competition and cooperation in games, which nicely models that of the real world. What I mean by this is that as any biologist or nature documentary watcher will tell you, there are two forces that operate in tension with each other in the theory of evolution, competition and cooperation. Both serve the ultimate purpose of maximizing the possibility that a species will live to perpetuate its genetic code. As far as I understand, it's still far from agreed upon in science which of cooperation or competition is more important or dominant in shaping evolution, and luckily for our purposes it's not necessary to pick a side, merely to acknowledge the necessity of both. It's very common to separate games and gamers into competitive versus cooperative types. Some games are semi-cooperative, which require a little bit of both. And there's no denying that some people just do not get cooperative games. Um, Even if you can get them to sit down to play one, they're likely to want to tell everyone else what to do on their turn, which has come to be known as the pandemic effect, because that game is where it first manifested in tabletop. But the pandemic effect goes back at least as far as Dungeons & Dragons, where sometimes dungeon masters would have to contend with one member of the party bossing everyone else around. Of course, in D&D and in role-playing games, the game master can and should operate as a counterweight to this kind of bossiness. But modern cooperative games at first had no such built-in counterweight mechanics. It was only with games like Hanabi, Space Alert, and Magic Maze that designers began to grapple with and then demonstrate that they had begun to take the pandemic effect into account and short-circuit it by limiting the alpha gamer syndrome, introducing mechanics such as hidden information, game timers, and just outright not letting players talk. As for me, I happen to enjoy both kinds of game and gamer, depending on my mood and who I'm hanging out with. And that, dear listeners, is where I hit a wall about two weeks ago. And by wall, I mean existential crisis. Uh, I had other demands on my time, sure, actual paid work, uh, wrapping up my mom's estate, which is proving to be more time-consuming, if not more difficult, than I thought it would. And I'm sure I wouldn't be the only person who's found the events of the past few weeks, both abroad and here in Ontario, pretty depressing. But the main reason I just could not push forward with writing was simply I was not having fun. And, of course, the irony of not having any fun writing about fun did not escape me. Um, Some might say that's what I get for being so analytical about something which, quote, should, unquote, be left instinctual. But uh, I still believe in format and the idea of an aesthetic uh, critique for games and the taxonomy of fun. It's just that for the moment, anyway... 
I'm not finding very much joy in my enjoyment of it, or indeed with tabletop games in general, or at least right now. I feel like I'm spending way too much time and attention uh, thinking about stuff that's annoying me about the hobby right now. I'm letting myself do that. No one is forcing me to. Um, And I'm not spending enough time, you know, just playing games. Um, Some of that is, of course, due to the pandemic, which uh, still curtails my opportunities to play in person. But a lot of it is also what I see on board game social media, not even the trollish behavior, but just, you know, inane memes and hype trains and entitled Kickstarter comments and all the bling and, I don't know, all kinds of stuff, all the just endless sequels and so on and Whatever, the solution to which is that I've taken a break from a lot of board game social media for now till I can kind of find my way back. Um, But, you know, even even parts of playing games that I have traditionally really enjoyed, like just reading the rules to games is something I really enjoy, Uh, you know, reading them and discovering how they tick and what it says about the designer's philosophy and so on. That's something I've always enjoyed. And now I just, uh, I just feel overstuffed. All, all of the sort of chasing victory points and the winning ironically feels like, you know, there's no purpose. So ironically, practically all the fun I have left is ordering new games and waiting for them to arrive in the mail. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still buying them. Uh, usually I don't play them. Uh, I, I barely, I, I'll open them. Uh, sometimes, like I said, I don't even bother reading the rules because by the time they come, I'm just like, oh, I don't even want to read this. Uh, um, but I love waiting for stuff, uh, and I love opening the box and opening it up. How sad is that? Um, I, I really do think it's because right now I have very little else that I'm looking forward to. So uh, ordering games and waiting for them is takes the place of that. So, uh, so you know, even writing, finishing this episode off and talking about this, uh, I've been procrastinating because it's it's an admission of of defeat, as it were, against myself, uh, if not an admission of outright failure. Um, you know, I, I would love to be able to continue the plan as I had planned. Uh, and I hate disappointing you, dear listeners, who have somehow continued to keep uh, tuning in or downloading or, or whatever. But at least for the moment, once again, I must hit pause, I think, until I can find my way uh, back. Uh, I, I'd rather than just like, like dropping out completely and leaving you hanging radio silence or or worse in my mind, just phoning it in somehow squeezing it out every month, like, like, like a turd, uh, every month. Uh, it wouldn't do the ideas, uh, which I, like I say, I still believe in and, and it wouldn't do you any justice. So yeah, there you have it. Portrait of a depressed gamer and content creator. Um, the Game Changers will return. I, I feel confident about that, at least. Uh, so I hope you keep a chair by the fire or at your gaming table open 
and warm for me in the meantime. This is David Weiss for The Daily Worker Placement. Thanks for listening. See you next time. And don't flip that table. <laughs>